And now. And now, introducing the one, the only, the future of with Jenna Benemy on Dash Talk X. I love it. Three, three, two, two, one. Let's go. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You are on with the future of and Jenna Benemy, a show about the future of every industry. Um, how my guest got to become an industry titan, where their industry is headed in the next 10 or so years, how artificial intelligence is impacting that industry, and some tips for you guys to learn how to get started if you're interested. With us today is one of my favorite people who I've known for years and actually vomited at one of his bars, <laughs> Sal Aurora. How are you doing today, Sal? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. How oh, are I'm you? So I'm great. I'm I'm really excited to have you here. Um Sal and I met on St. Patty's Day, I think it was. You yeah. had an event at Happy Endings, and I was with my friend Jess. One of the epic parking lot events. Yeah. 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 Do you still do those? No, we don't do those any longer, now. No. What are no. you doing with Sycamore Tavern these days? Uh, right now, it's just more of just a local tavern type of a situation. Um, I, I would go more into depth of what's happening there, but I right now I can't really talk about that. Got it. So, okay. Yeah. But some cool stuff in the works. Yeah. Some really good things in the works. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Love that. Um, so you own nine businesses, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to list them um, for the listeners. Sure. I know everyone knows Scopa. Scopa. Yes. Okay. And you're going to kill me, but I still haven't been, <laughs> which is crazy because everyone and their mom has been, uh-huh. and there's like a, is there a, like a secret back room? Is that the one? There is a speakeasy uh-huh. uh, called old lightning. Yeah. Which has about 24, 25 seats and it's more of a dining experience with alcohol. So we, mm. um, we've been collecting uh, certain bottles, uh, re- really rare bottles from around the world for the mm. past decade. Um, some bottles of one or two bottles left on this planet. Oh, wow. So when those bottles are gone, they are gone forever. Amazing. So we, uh, so we kind of give that, um, that experience, we kind of throw back. It has like a 50s vibes in- inside and, uh, and we kind of just give that experience. We take your cell phone. You can't bring your cell phone in. We make you check your cell phone. We make you be as present as possible. Mm. Really enjoy the experience. Yeah. And it's so- very educational. How um, how often is it open? It's open Monday through Friday right now. We'll be pushing to Saturday soon. Wow, you're really able to give that experience five days a week. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Okay, guys, I need a date to go to Scopa. Figure it out. DM me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so amongst are all of your businesses restaurants? Uh, I do have other businesses as well, but uh, predominantly restaurants. Yeah. Okay. Very yeah. cool. So you have Chestnut Club. Black Market Liquor Bar, the local peasant eat club, right. um, Old Lightning is what you just described, Sycamore Tavern, um, Al Catering, and yeah. Dama Downtown LA, and Chef Lettics. Correct. So Al Catering is uh, Antonio LaFaso Catering. Mm. I just couldn't fit that on oh, my Instagram. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So it's Antonio LaFaso Catering. She's my executive corporate chef uh-huh. uh, for my restaurants. Yeah. And is this is this like the super famous badass chef you were telling me about? Correct. Antonia Lafaso, correct, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, she's amazing, yeah. Okay. So, um where do, is she your chef at all your restaurants? How does that work? So, she is uh, our corporate executive chef overall, but she uh, her food is at um Dama, mm. Black Market, and Scopa. Old, oh, okay. Old, old Lightning. If people ask for food, we'll bring it in from Scopa, but it's very rare. Mm. Uh, cuz we want more to be more about the experience, uh, like the dining with alcohol. Yeah. Um, and then she also does our food for Chestnut Club. 
Okay. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, I will come check it out. Do you guys, yeah. um, do you have any vegan or vegetarian menus or is this really carnivorous? I mean, we have options. We have plenty of options for people. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, people who have uh, a gluten intolerance or, uh, or vegan, we have plenty, plenty of options for Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. So how's your week going? Let's just talk about you for a well, second. I mean, what's today? Today is what? Today is Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. It's the beginning of the week. It's the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Did you do any Sunday fun Not day? Much, Did uh, you industry night Monday? No, Sunday I kind of just laid low and just relaxed. I just had a big week before that. I had a lot of family in town. Mm. I had my uh, my nephew in town for spring break. And then a week after that, I had my niece in town for spring break. Mm-hmm. So I had two uh, teenagers amongst <laughs> me for, uh, for a period of two weeks. So that took a lot of energy and a lot yeah. of time. So yeah, so Sunday I rested. Okay. Yeah. Nothing really exciting. Nothing exciting. I'm not right. that exciting. No, you you know think that why? I'm a restaurateur and I'm going to have this exciting life. No. I'm really not that exciting. <laughs> You're pretty. You know what? Sal is one of the smartest <laughs> men I know and not just in your like traditional sense, but just, you know, like in terms of energy and understanding vibes and environment and societal norms and kind of breaking past things. And what I love about you, Sal, is that you are just you are who you are unapologetically. So, you know, and, and people just kind of respect you for that too. You know, like they see that you're just an honest guy. And so if you give a little bit of a harsh critique, it's like, well, at least he's, at least I know I can count on him being honest and he doesn't mean to be a dick about it. No, I think empathy is one of the, one of the things that I think for many people, if they can just show some sort of vulnerability and honesty and integrity and have that empathy while you're having a conversation with someone, I think people appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how you, it's definitely how you approach things and how you, uh, you, the end result on how you're trying to approach what you're saying. But, um, I think empathy and honesty is, is the only rule in life. Mm. Yeah. It's gotten me this far. So. How, okay. So I, um, before we jump into, you know, how you got to be this like industry mogul, I would love to know what your first job was. First of all, I do not look at myself as a mogul. That's <laughs> I think that's a, a lot tough, of that's a tough would. pill to, to swallow. I guess that's more the humble side of me. I just, uh, yeah. all I do is my best every day. That's all I can do. Right. And that's what I try to do. But, um, as far as my first restaurant, no, like literally first job ever. Oh, my first job. Oh, wow. So, um, my parents owned an Italian restaurant growing up uh-huh. in New York. I was born and raised in New York and my parents are from Italy. Mm. Um, so I, I guess I'm more, I'm first generation. Is that is, that's what they say, right? First generation, yeah. And um, hence the name Salvatore. Salvatore, Aurora, <laughs> si, senora. Um, so I grew up in a very European household, and kind of an, you would say an old school household. Mm. Um, so it was based on hard work, um, integrity, and uh, and just uh, having pride in what you do. Yeah, those old so, school values. Old school values. So my grandfather and my dad, they were business partners in a pizzeria, Italian restaurant. So I'm essentially a third generation restaurateur. Mm. Um, so they put me to work at a very young age at around seven years old. No way. Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing at seven? Yeah, seven. So that just the basics really with my grandfather, uh, he was amazing. He, um, he didn't speak any English and uh, very limited English. And so he, uh, would teach me how to sweep, would mm. teach me like the real basics of like cleaning and things like that, you know, just to show me like show up to work. And if you do a good job, he's like, you'll get paid at the end of the day, mm. you know? And he, he would throw a quarter at me or 50 cents, whatever it was. But he was, now I realize as an adult, I mean, at the time it was like 50 cents, come on. Right. You know, I, even back then I had that entrepreneurial spirit, right. but, <laughs> but I had to earn it. And, and he instilled that in me. 
So I, when you when, when I look back, it's just really interesting to understand what like really what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that sort of created the work ethic within you. Correct. Yeah. And then at what age did you open your first restaurant? Was Scopa your first, by the way? No. At what was your first? My first was, uh, I moved out here originally from New York. So I moved out here when I was 25 mm. and my first cousin, who's my business partner, uh, he was living out here and, uh, we decided he's like, just come out, check out Los Angeles, see what it's about. So I left after nine 11, um, that mm. tragic, yeah, de- devastation, lost a couple of really good people, wow. uh, close people to me. So I just was like, you know, what's happening in LA He's like, come, come check it out. So I came out to LA and I basically slept on his couch for two weeks and realized it was in February of 2002. And I was like, is this real? It's 75 and sunny every day in <laughs> February In February, like this is incredible. And then, uh, so I moved out and we just started hitting the pavement and we uh, found our first place. It was called the firm at the time. This was in 2002. It was a sup- nightclub. What was it called? The firm. It was called the firm. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I have to tell you, I'm so sorry to the listeners, but I, it's, I can't, we'll just talk off air. Okay. Yeah. I cannot <laughs> believe this. I'm shocked. But anyway, continue. Okay. So it was the firm at the time. It was in 2002, April of 2002. We found, um, through some contacts from fr- some friends and they were having some internal issues and one group of this, one of the groups wanted out. So we went in and, and purchased their interest that like for pennies on the dollar. Mm. Um, so we had, I had some money saved up. Uh, my cousin had some money saved up from, from childhood, from the 50 cents added up. <laughs> they added up, right? <laughs> when you start at seven, it adds right? up. Uh, and then some friends and family helped us out uh, and things like that, some loans. And uh, that's where we came in and we purchased our first, uh, our first restaurant. Uh, more of a more of a supper club, nightclub. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say restaurant. We kind of brought that aspect into it. Where was it located? Wilshire and Crescent Heights. It was just west of Crescent Heights on Wilshire. On the north side of the street. North side. 60, yeah. 6311 Wilshire Boulevard. I can't believe And that, that changed. That spot um, used to be in the last few years, not last few years, like last 10 years, it was like a sports bar and then yeah. another sports bar, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I think, uh, Rivalry was one yes. of the names. And yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the other names, but I think that was the last. So interesting. So I actually didn't even realize that your partner is your cousin. Correct. My first cousin. Yeah. Give Our, him a little shout out. Mario Gademi. Uh, he's my first cousin. Our moms are sisters. So yeah, he's, uh, hmm. he's, I have four sisters. I don't have any brothers. Yeah. So he is my brother. Yeah. Yeah. We're six months apart. He's six months older than me. And we just have this amazing relationship and the dynamic between the two of us. It just, it's like the yin and yang. It just, yeah. it just works. It's like, we never fight. We, we, we love and respect each other. And, uh, and we have this agreement. It's, it's a, it's kind of like an unspoken thing, but if one of us says no, we don't really push it. We kind of just mm-hmm. let it go. That's amazing. So we base it off of each other, like the trust that we have for one another and the safe side that we have for one another. So we'll jump into the tips section later, but I'm wondering, is there, is there, how would you advise the listeners on, finding and then developing a relationship like that, because that's where the magic happens in every partnership, right? Yeah, is where you I have agree. that mutual trust and respect. So yeah. how do you, I mean, what do you look for? How do you find that? I, you know, it's, it's, that's a great question. Um, I think you have to start with yourself. You have to find that within yourself first, like your truth and your honesty mm. about yourself and then find like-minded people because we have, sometimes we put so much trust or integrity into certain people and they're just built a certain way. And we just, they, we think they're like us, right? but they're not. 
Right. We often make that statement. Well, but I would do this or but I wouldn't do that. Right. right? And so then we expect others to behave the way that we would. Exactly. So I have this thing where I believe who they are, not who I want them to be. Mm. I don't want to create that. So if someone shows me who they are, I exactly pay. I pay attention to it. I don't. I have a thing. I have a saying. I don't paint the red flags green. So if someone's throwing out the red flags, really pay attention to it Mm because, you know, they're really telling you exactly who they are. So then at that point, what if you're deeply invested with this person? You've already discussed a business plan and then there's money being tossed around. I mean, do you do you like stop and pivot or what do you do? Yeah, I would pivot. I would stop and pivot. It's just not worth it because they're showing you exactly who they are. So the past predicts the future with a lot of people, maybe Mm. not with yourself because you have integrity and you have you actually come you're forthcoming in what, what you want to do and the integrity and the honesty and the approach of what's happening. But a lot of times other people, when they're showing you who they are, just it's who they I are. I know it's hard. It's hard because you want it so badly. Like yes. you're, you're, it's not even a passion side. It's, it's more of a, it's something that you just want to prove it. Sometimes, you know, ego mm-hmm. jumps in and you just have to just let, let it flush out. Like yeah. I, I tell, you know, I tell people too, just take time. Like don't rush things. Yeah, I know it's a it's kind of a, the saying if it's meant to be it's meant to be it's it's really it's it's a real thing. And so I try to just yeah. flow and guide with certain things that and I let this the truth speak to me. It's, and I and, and I don't ignore it. You I know we talked about this the other day. So you're really a patient person then. Yes. Because you're skilled at sitting there and letting everyone kind of do their talking and and make their arguments and make their cases, right? And then you're sort of passively just observing everything and you speak when you have something you feel needs to be heard. Correct, yeah. I like to uh, add my value when I know there is value. If there's no value, mm-hmm. then I just, I stay silent. I stay quiet. Right. I just, I just kick back. And, uh, and a lot of people, I think, a lot of things stem from certain people who have certain insecurities or trying to figure themselves out. And that's okay. Right. And I'm open to that because there are a lot of great people out there who do have insecurities or fears or certain things that that have patterned them to be a certain way. And I I pay attention to them too. It's, it doesn't make them out to be a bad person. It's mm-hmm. just, um, I just try to figure out if this is something I want to, if, if, if I can work with this person and they do have the same empathy and compassion that I have, because that's really important. Emotional intelligence is the most important thing. That's been literally all over the news every like in in the recent months, just addressing that that's like more of a commodity than skill set these days, because we live in a time where opportunity to learn is out there. You really don't need that much to have access to information anymore. But um, emotional intelligence can make or break a culture. So even when I do headhunting now, I'm actually finding a replacement for someone who had the skill set, but was disruptive to the culture. Yeah. It's key. It's key. Yeah. That's uh, when it comes to partnerships or employees or friendships or family, whatever it is, um, emotional intelligence is, and, and you know, some people have more than others and you're constantly growing and you're evolving and that's okay. But if people are effectively, you know, trying to actually pull from you mm-hmm. and not actually have a balance like a, a give and take type of situation, mm-hmm. if it's always you're the giving, 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 and they're taking, 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 it's just, it's just eventually you're going to feel empty right. inside. And then you're going to be looking at yourself and be like, what just happened? Yes. Like, where am I? You feel drained. You feel empty. I, I, essentially I call, I call them vampires. 
but I try to stay. I just try to yeah, stay away from energy like vampires. That. Or if, if yes, correct, energy vampires, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so given all of your experience in the industry, what would you say is different in today's climate? Like, how have you needed to pivot in order to survive? Oh, so this has been a very interesting couple of years with, especially in California, yeah. um, with minimum wage, mm-hmm. um, with all the workman's comp, all the different laws that are happening, uh, in the past couple of years in, in the service industry. Mm. Um, and it's state to state, certain States, um, have different laws and, and, and restaurants have, uh, for instance, a tip credit and a dual wage system, which California does not have. Mm. So, uh, Dual wage is basically front of the house, like bartenders, waiters who make minimum wage mm. and then plus tips. Um, sometimes in states like New York or other states, the minimum wage for typical employees is very low, three to four dollars an hour, depending on, yeah. on, on a state. And then based and then plus tips. So then it averages out based on their tips. They could be making 30, 40, 50 dollars an hour. Right. Um, and then the back of the house is the kitchen uh, the kitchen staff, which is based from minimum wage. And that's a, that's a federal minimum wage or the state minimum, minimum wage, which is right now it's, uh, I believe it's 1325. Mm-hmm. So everyone in the kitchen gets 1325. And then based on your skill set, then we figure out what your, what, what the value is of, sure. of your, of your wage. Um, but in California, that doesn't, doesn't exist. I have to pay everyone minimum wage. So the, the bartenders and the, uh, the front of the house, I have to pay them 1325 wow. an hour minimum wage plus they get the tips. So essentially they're making 70, 80, $90 an hour now. And then my kitchen, which well-deserved, uh, depending on the skill set, minimum is 13, 25, mm-hmm. you know, to 30 or more, whatever, right. Whatever we decide to do. And I believe everyone should have the right to, um, to a proper wage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm all about taking care of my employees and the whole nine, but, uh, California is just not giving us an opportunity to, have some sort of tip credit where we get credits based on, on, on the front of the house where, so if they match their um, minimum wage or 20 mm-hmm. or $25 an hour, we wouldn't have to actually pay them that minimum wage of 13, 25 an hour for the front of the house. Right. So it's putting a lot of pressure and also California didn't allow tips to happen for the back of the house. Which, oh, interesting. Yeah. And now finally they just passed it, but it's still kind of a slippery s- slope. And so we uh, we're trying to figure out exactly how to make it work and stay in business essentially yeah. because you know it's really ripping into our profits. Well, yeah. and I would imagine from like a bartender's perspective, you know, the general norm, at least out in California, just you know, having worked in the service industry, is that yeah. you know you get your minimum wage and then you get your tips, and then um, and then of course you have to like tip out the bussers and the folks that help right. you out exactly. Um, but I would imagine that if the if the bartenders are now responsible for tipping out the kitchen as well, do you think you'll have any challenges finding staff, like finding people to want to work at your venue versus like the restaurant down the street who, you know, maybe doesn't do that? Well, it's an interesting thing. I can't really force anyone to tip anyone out. It's really based on if they want to. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, a lot of a lot of restaurants they're going to a service model where they're including the actual gratuity. So they're include. I don't know if you've seen it around town, around Los Angeles, where you mm. notice it's a service charge or service yes. gratuity where it's like 15, 18, 20%. Yeah. So essentially what they're doing is the restaurant is taking um the gratuity, the service charge, they're calling it service charge, and they're um 
and then they're playing the, they're paying their employees say the front of the house now they're paying them they're just paying them off the top 25 30 dollars an hour in the kitchen they're paying them a higher wage as well and from that service charge they kind of uh, figure out where the money needs to go as far as on the employee side is the service charge the tip though I think I never know how to like tip do I tip on top of the service charge or what no you don't have to no okay. it's included yeah it's it's the European model when you go to Europe, got it. They pay the serve staff, the wait staff more. Yeah, it's a European model. This model was based from I don't know where it existed from, but it started I think in the sixties, fifties, sixties. The tipping model here with low minimum wage. Um, it should have been curated just like the European model back then, and somehow we somehow we adapted mm-hmm. this uh, this tipping mentality. So I think it's okay. So and as far as for the and then it it it. it for the customer, it becomes mm. more expensive for the customer because we have to, you know, we have to keep our costs in line. Right. And then we have to be competitive as well. So it's just, it's, it's becoming a difficult, a difficult place to find exactly. Um, we want to take care of our employees. We think that's the most important thing is taking care of our staff because yeah. they work so hard and I absolutely love our staff and I think everyone should be paid appropriately. And then at the same time, I want to keep my customers happy. So how do I keep my customers happy mm-hmm. and keeping the price point and not affecting um, quality at all? Because that's something I right. would not do, right? Because it goes up everywhere. Food costs goes up. Everything goes up. So not only because when, minim- when, when labor goes up, I mean, my vendors go up because the same thing's happening to them. So right. everything goes up. So yeah. we have to find, and then, you know, obviously we want to be profitable and be in business so we have to find that fine line to figure out exactly how we can stay profitable and keep everyone happy. Yeah. So what's, uh, <laughs> how are you doing it? Like, like if there's a, you know, there's new restaurants emerging every day and, yeah. and for whatever reason, you know, the margins are known for being low, but people think that they're going to make it big. And, yeah. and maybe it's like a sexy industry because they can host and everyone wants to know a restaurant owner, you know? Um, but what advice would you give a new restaurant owner, somebody looking to get into the industry right now, knowing that, you know, there's the challenge between having to accommodate these rising minimum wage costs and also still make some money. I think it's a two prong approach. If you have never been a restaurateur, I've never owned your own restaurant. I would say at this point, please don't do it mm. okay. <laughs> because if you don't have the experience if you don't have the experience in running a restaurant properly and having an understanding and having the wisdom and having to make it work, because there's so many variables mm. besides like California with all the laws, it's just on top of it, running a great restaurant, having a great product, keeping your employees happy, uh, keeping the customers happy. You know, there's so many different variables to running a restaurant as it is at, at such a low price point for, for, for the entrepreneur. So um, if you don't have the experience in doing that, I would say, work i would say work in a restaurant for mm-hmm. have at least 10 years of experience from from like what i did when i was 7 years old right. i started as a as a sweeping the floors to to, to essentially doing everything in yeah. the restaurant from sweeping the floors to prep to washing dishes to then actually learning how to cut pizza make pizza become a chef in the kitchen then the books and then all the taxes i mean there's so many different variables and it's 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 not just serving food. It's a business. Mm. And I think a lot of restaurant, a lot of people who want to get into the restaurant business forget that this is a business as well. There's the whole front of the house, the sexy part, like you said, Mm. which is like the glamour and like getting that food in front of that customer. But then to get that plate perfect, by the way, think about every dish has to be perfect. Yeah. Every day. And consistent. And consistent. 
getting it to that point, you don't, the, to, that process to get to there is not an easy process. It's right. very, very difficult. So experience, experience, experience is the only way in this business you would be successful or find the people that, or invest into the people that have the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So if you have the capital and you want to be in the scene, then find someone like you or, you know, someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Not just the chef. You have to find the actual you business have to find, operator. Yes. You have to find the operator. You need to find the chef. It's a, it's a full gamut. It's not just a, a one prong approach. It's a, it's a, it's a multiple prong approach where you need to find a great team where you can invest into them properly mm. and they can, and that experience and your experience in business, whatever it is, can, you can pull, pull that together and then hopefully be successful. Yeah. So I read this book called the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, and mm-hmm. he addresses his thoughts on what it takes to create a successful business. And he believes that there's three key players, the technician, the person who understands the craft, right? So mm-hmm. I guess the technician in a restaurant in, in business would be the chef, correct? right? Producing the food. And then the entrepreneur is the person kind of driving the business forward. Mm-hmm. And then there's the manager handling all the operations in the day to day. So would you agree that those are the three components necessary? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, yeah. That's uh, I need to read this book. Yeah. Because my intuition and just from my, my flow of life, I like to say, this is exactly how I approach things. Interesting. Yeah. It's, you have to have it. I'm all about teams. If you, if you think that you can do it yourself in, in, a, in a sense, you probably can, but it just become, it's just very difficult. What mm-hmm. I like to do is I like to focus on what people are great at. Like I'm great at certain things. Do I, do I want to do certain things? Can I do certain things? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I'm really great at certain things. And, and that's what we do. I like to focus on, on the greatness of what people have. And then in a partnership, that understanding is very important with yourself knowing like, Hey, I'm great at this and I know they're great at that. So if, if they're not doing this, I can't really get upset about that because my expectation of them is to be great at what they're great at. Right. So you have to find a plug the, you know, find plug the holes and find out who's great at what they're great at and let them be great at it. Um, right. So guys, uh, Sal's really good at batting his baby blue eyes and getting whatever he wants. That's not true. They're green. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're blue. Do they change? They, they must. I, yeah. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. He's got those Italian blue eyes and I'm pretty sure he's single. I don't know if I was supposed to mention that or not, but okay. uh, we'll be posting photos of you on Insta. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so slide up in his DMs. Oh boy. <laughs> no, uh, but seriously, what would you say you are really great at, you know, with, within your dynamic and in, in your partnerships, what do you focus on the most? I focus on leadership. Uh, mm. I focus on, um, I think, this is an interesting question because I really never think about myself this way. Yeah. Um, I guess I would say uh, people. I think my uh, my my delivery. I think my uh, understanding of people and and executing mm-hmm. uh, and creating solutions. I think that's probably yeah what, what my my strengths are. Um, I'll be honest with you. I hate doing the day to day. It's yeah. just not my thing. Um, like being in the restaurant every day, I've evolved past that in a sense where you're in the restaurant every day doing the same thing, dealing with the right. same things. I need to move around. I need to, I need to feel, feel challenged. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, um, like bring it on, like bring me the issues and I well, let's create problems. Yeah. Uh, let's create, the, let's solve the problems. I could totally um, see that. Yeah. And, and I love to listen. I love to listen to what people have to say. I tell my employees, it's never a bad question. Like ask me, don't feel like come to me with a question because mm-hmm. you, because Sometimes you might 
I might have, you might make me think and be like, okay, that's a great question. Let me, let's figure this out together. I'll be like, well, what do you think? Right. And I learned from, I learned from them too. I learned from everyone. Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing. I'm not, I, you, every day, my, I, I just want to learn and absorb as much as I can of, of the good. Yeah. yeah. And I, I appreciate that you can see the value in everyone, regardless of their position within your operation. Oh yeah. And that makes, I think, um, you know, when I was an employee, like that was huge for me to feel like my input mattered and yeah. that no question was, was dumb. Well, they're, they're in it every day. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not listening to my staff and to my incredible staff, like they're in it, they're, they're essentially my, you know, I wouldn't say they're my moles in a sense. They're telling me like yeah. what could be happening or what's wrong with certain situations or certain, um, uh, or certain systems that we have in place. Well, I think, you know, we can adjust it here or do this here. I listen to everything they have to say because they make great points and mm-hmm. they're in it every day. So when someone is doing something every day, 40, 50 hours a week, you need to listen to them Yeah, because they have the experience. Yeah. And, and there's no ego about your approach, which I love. Yeah. I mean, now it's very difficult for me to be in that every day because I have, you know, four or 500 employees and I'm, you know, wow. I'm kind of steering the ship. So yeah. I, for me to get like in, to nestle into those little things, you know, I'm, I'm completely open to my employees telling me, or, or at least letting us know what's happening in the restaurant. Guys, you are on with the future of, I'm your host, Jenna Benami. We're here with Sal Aurora, the yacht master <laughs> of his <laughs> restaurant operations. Wear my captain's hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how's that tequila treating you? Uh, well, we, it's, uh, it's sitting right in front of me. Yeah. What, what should we do here? Dive in. Dive in. Yeah. I'll take a little sip. Yeah. So, uh, Sal's trying Azunia tequila for the first time. So black Azunia tequila. Azunia black. Okay. Um, it's, uh, aged in whiskey barrels and, uh, it's two years aged and everyone who tries it, it's like they taste, well, tell me. What do you, I mean, I don't know if you're like a tequila connoisseur, but is there anything that stands out to you? Mm, I could taste the oak. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's nice. It's really nice. Smooth. It's smooth. And yeah. and then um, when I tried it, I really tasted like the vanilla and caramel yeah. and the, vanilla, um, the caramel, the, the oak smooth. Yeah. So if you're a whiskey drinker, um, it's like an easy the, transition. Nice, into tequila. There's some nice heat there on my yeah. tongue and now on my throat. There's yeah. really nice heat. <laughs> He likes the heat. Hey, how, how, you, how you doing? <laughs> well, this is actually delicious. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. All right. I love it. Yeah. Thank well, you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. It. I mean, Torfi and, and all the amazing folks at Azunia. Love you guys. You take such good care of us over here on The Future Of. Uh, check us out on Instagram, the future of dot radio and the Jenna Ben and Sal or what is your Instagram? Your, your DMs are going to blow up. Oh boy. It's uh, <laughs> I did not name this. It was friends who did this. Uh, it's delish Sal. <laughs> <laughs> he is delicious ladies. Yeah. I, did, I didn't, the story, I didn't know what Instagram was at the time. And I have a bunch of girlfriends who are friends who are publicists. Yeah. And they're like, you need to have Instagram. I'm like, I don't even know what Instagram is. Yeah. And uh, so they created my account for my, for no, my, it's perfect for you given yeah, that you're in the industry. So. Yeah, but I do love to say the word delicious as well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On a more serious note, um, 
everyone knows that I love to geek out on artificial intelligence. Okay. And, you know, we're seeing it impact. We're seeing it creep into every industry. And and with the restaurant business, I mean, I'm pretty clear on how it's affecting liquor so far and the robotic arm and, and you know, cutting back on bartenders needed and then, you know, labor costs and all of that. But is there any way that comes to mind that AI is impacting the restaurant side of things today? In a good way or in a bad way? Either. Yeah, just um, what you're I, noticing. I think, you know, with AI, I, it's just part of life. It's just it's just how we're evolving. And um, I think it's a, it's a great thing. I think uh, with the analytics that you get from it. Mm. So right now, that's probably the, the one part that restaurants can really uh, can uh, be successful in, in, in the approach to AI because – there is, there really isn't much outside of that, mm-hmm. as far as in, I'm, I'm, they're trying to get to that point. I think more in the fast casual side or in more in the in the fast food side, that'll definitely be in the future something that's interesting, like making you know they're making their own burgers or things like that, like right. machines. And but like on my side, on on the restaurant side, I don't really seeing AI. I don't see robots positioning themselves to take over to take over. Um, the only thing I could really see them positioning is what's been happening over time is when you have a huge um, operation and you buy certain machines to make certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the analytics are incredible. The analytics that we get from, from, from certain, from example, we have resi.com, okay. um, which is a reservation system. Uh, and so we, uh, all our, most of our customers reserve their tables through resi mm-hmm. and we do receive their analytics, but we receive the analytics as far as, um, we can see what time they love to come. Right. Like what they love to order, like uh, who, usually on an average, how you know how much they spend or how many times they do come to the restaurant, uh, how often they come to the restaurant. So then our management, we look at that. And if, if it's a case that someone who becomes a regular and someone who's who loves a restaurant and support supports us and we do this with everyone, we find ways to make we find ways to make them feel like part of part yeah. of the family. Yeah. So, yeah. So That's I think, so nice. yeah, I think AI is a great thing because before that we wouldn't know it's based on, mm. on your management or people telling you, or just recognizing that they're there often. But you know, what's, with, with scope, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very busy restaurant, mm-hmm. thank God. And, uh, so sometimes you can't really grasp onto who, who comes in that often. Sometimes, you know, we have some people who come in once or twice a week, but sometimes if people come in twice a month, Sometimes it's tough to recognize that. Yeah. And with uh, with the AI and what you get from that, you can see that. You can see when they were last in the restaurant and you can say, welcome back, you know. Right. Yeah. So it definitely helps out hospitality. So do you um, think that you will incorporate a robotic arm as a bartender? I'm thinking like Sycamore Tavern, a place like that, <laughs> that's kind of like on the more chill side. Yeah. Um. You know, people might actually not mind. And then, you know, like if it's super busy and they just want to get their drink. I mean, I think it would, it would have to add value. Mm-hmm. Like what you just said, if there was a, if there, maybe there was a, there was an area or a place where they can go and get a quick drink. Mm-hmm. But I think the human connection is so important. Right. And I think that was my argument when we brought it up on the show with the Azuni guys. Yeah. I think uh human connection because sometimes people do go to a bar, they go, go to a restaurant and they go by themselves. And they mm-hmm. go to meet people and try to create that human connection. A lot of times the connection is to the bartender or to the server or to someone at least where they feel connected. Listen, at the end of the day, technology is going to advance at, at rates that we have no idea. But humans, we're staying the same. Right. We still have we still have a heart. We have a liver. We have a pancreas. Mm-hmm. We have emotions. We're, we're exactly the same. We're not changing. We might evolve in certain ways as far as with technology, but as far as being human, 
we're, we're exactly the same. Right. We're not advancing with that. We, we feel we have, you know, we, we hurt, we laugh, we cry, we do all that. We have all those emotions. So AI, I think to a certain extent, to a certain point can be a great thing, but mm-hmm. certain things you can, they're just going to stay human because they just have to. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know what channel this was on, but I saw a special on, um, like these robotic sex dolls Okay, and how <laughs> I really didn't mean to take it there, but <laughs> they, they were like so lifelike and just yeah. the, um, like the way that they responded to the human felt natural. And wow. I've, I've read studies about, um, like they're really trying to build robots that can simulate human emotion. Mm-hmm. And so then they'll just have like a human in the room to kind of judge and then tweak. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think they'll never have a soul. But do half of the people in this town? I don't know. <laughs> Just oh, kidding. Jen, Jen, that's on you. That's. <laughs> I don't know, but you the know, soul and spirit you can never replace. You can never replace. No. Um, but I think that uh, people uh, are going to try. I think there's definitely a market. I yeah. mean, there's a, there's a market for anything on this planet. Um, I think whoever wants to buy the sex doll and wants to connect that way, that's fine. Maybe they have other issues and things that going on, or maybe they just like it. They have certain things that they just like. Right. Um, but some people do stem from insecurity that sometimes, you know, man or woman, they have an, uh, approaching or being in contact or they have certain things that just make them feel oh, they're shy. I, I mean, I don't know. So maybe this is an alternative for them. This could be a good thing for the, good thing for them. It's helping them in a sense. Right. right. So give them a little practice. May I, uh, you know, of like social engagement. <laughs> I didn't mean the sex doll part. I meant the, <laughs> I meant the like the friend pra- bot. Practice is always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They say practice makes perfect. Right. Right. I believe in that. Um, okay. So the way I see this robotic arm working for you potentially would be if you were to have like one robot serving drinks and or beer and then still a staff of bartenders so that people yeah. have the option if they don't want to engage and it's a busy bar. Yeah. And, you know, the real upside for you is you'd cut down on labor costs and yes. then eventually yeah. the cost of the robot, the robotic arm would pay, yeah. would pay for itself. Um, but also the cost of alcohol and overpouring and comped drinks and all of that, you wouldn't have to deal with that with the robot. Right. You know, like we talked about the cute girl discount on the, the mm-hmm. Azunia show. And okay. I'm like, I, you know, I'm very thankful. I, I've gotten hooked up plenty, but that wouldn't happen if there was a robot on site. But, but that's that, why. But that's why you go back too. Right. Right. So and that's like, for, for that familiarity. Yeah, there's underlying things that I mean. I would do it more. The robotic arm for me would be more of a, of a service side. So, uh, for instance, where you have your staff, you have your servers who come to the service well, come to the service bar, who just they come and pick up their drinks and then they bring them over to the table. Mm, so smart. so what i what i would look at i would look at maybe having an area where the arm could create that for my service well mm. where my staff can go there their drinks would be ready they'll be perfect and prompt and there and then they can pick them up and take them where they need to go that's so smart we there's didn't cover a, that aspect there's, but there's yeah still I like agree. A hum, there's still a human connection there yeah yeah but like i said it's for instance you know uh, everything evolves like you have we every, we make fresh pasta in all our places um, certain places we don't have a fresh pasta ma- uh, machine, mm-hmm. which we can do more volume. And the other, other places we do kind of old school, like with the wheel and the whole night. No, nine. you don't. Yeah. Cause Wait, we don't have the machine. Can I get machine. a tour? Absolutely. Which location? Uh, which one do you want to go to? Do you want to see, which, what do you want to see? I think I need to go to Scopa. Well, okay. We'll do it at Scopa then. Oh my God. You guys yeah. are getting the VIP treatment <laughs> over here. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, all right. So the show is about the future. You're you've been in the industry forever since age seven. Yeah. Um, where is it headed in the next 10 years? Um, the restaurant business, I think, is going to uh, it's kind of becoming what I think is it's like how middle class is disappearing. Mm. I think that's what's going to happen. I think you're going to see the the middle class of restaurants disappear. I think you're going to have eventually like either just be high end restaurants mm. or the fast casual fast food concept. I think you're going to see because the middle class is going away and I think it's evolving to where that the gastro pub type, you know, you go in and get a burger for 14, 50 bucks, right. 14, $15, get a, get a beer. You're going to see those start going away soon because of all the costs and all the rising costs. So, you know, the, the, the it's, it's pretty sad what I think what's happening yeah. in, in the industry, but you, I'm seeing the middle class go away. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Um, Back on AI for a second, I, somebody was telling me that McDonald's is working on some software that's going to predict your order when you pull up to the drive-thru. That's, like, that's insane. It's insane. How could you possibly predict someone's order? What, based on what they look like, what they drive? Like there's a whole profile. I want to talk to the people who are that's, out there building these profiles. Yeah, I can't even, I can't even comprehend that. Yeah. I don't even, I can't even, even answer that. Yeah. Yeah, so the chains yeah. will survive. And then do you think that like the one-off like mom and pop, like fast food restaurants will live too? Yeah, I think there'll be, I, I think you have some, in, there's institutions that are that are here and that, are, that that will still be created. So I think those will um, will still be around. Uh, but um, I think I see, I see the, the fast casual concept and the fast food concept. And then I see high, like higher end restaurants. Mm-hmm. The in-between, you're going to see far less of that based because of, of technology and, and higher wages and everything else that's happening. And also the middle class is disappearing, which is a very sad thing. So, and if you don't feel comfortable answering this, I totally understand. But when you say middle class, I guess I'm thinking of like, in terms of chains, do you think like CPK and Cheesecake Factory will still be around? Um, like, is that what you meant when you said middle class? Middle class? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think these are publicly traded companies, so I don't think they're going anyway. So they have the means to, uh, I think more of the mom and pop middle class type restaurants mm-hmm. are going to, are going to disappear. Got the, it. I think that that's, what's going to, going to disappear more than, than what we have today. Right. Okay. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So what would you say makes for a great restaurateur? A great restaurateur. I think, um, I think you know, your strong characteristics as far as integrity is really important. Uh, leadership qualities, um, under, understanding your customer, understanding your staff, understanding the people around you. Um, mm. Your product is extremely important. Um, you, uh, your culture and mm. your and your business, I think, and and truly standing behind the culture of your business. And having uh, a concept, conceptual integrity, that's really important. Sticking to what you believe in and what you want to do because a lot of people are going to come at you and say, you should try this. You should Mm -hmm. try that. You should try this. And a lot, I don't want to say to people, I thought about that. That's a million thoughts ago. ago. Right. So you're going to have, and then you're going to second guess yourself a lot of times. Yes. Um, You you adapt, adapt based on what you think is the right thing to do. Not what everyone else is saying. Because if I was to listen to everyone else, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't be in the position that I'm in. Yeah. You'd be pulled in 18 directions and then you'd sit there like, like, what do I do? I, I don't know what to do. So focus Really focus on one thing, your conceptual integrity of what you are and who you are and what your concept is. 
And I think if that goes for anything, it could go for a product, it could go for anything, like focus on what you believe in and your passion for a a certain thing and really focus in in that direction of it. And you're going to have people pulling you in every single direction. Yeah. You know, what's so interesting, um, Alex Cajanaris, who, you know, by the way, um, when he was on the show, he was talking about kind of the same idea of sticking with your concept because there's a lot of businesses in hospitality that will open and then they try to supplement the slower nights with like karaoke Tuesday and yeah. then whatever the other examples were for the other nights. And then he said that that takes away from like the concept and then the value of the business. And then people, because you know, you're kind mm-hmm. of like ever changing to accommodate whatever that trend is in the moment that people right. tend to just, I guess you lose the customer's trust because there isn't a consistency. Correct. Yeah. That's the most important thing is that consistency in your product is key because if, like you said, if they come in on a Tuesday and you're doing karaoke, they might not come back because they think you do karaoke on Wednesdays and Thursdays and they didn't come for karaoke. They came for your burger. Right. Or they came to like bring a a group of people who they would been telling the restaurant. That's your number one key. Like your PR is your customer. Your customer is the number one key to your success. So they bring friends and those friends bring, bring friends and it just so on and so on. I believe in an organic way of doing things. Like if you have a good product and something you believe in, people will respond. Yeah. So how long would you say um, in terms of consistency, do you need to stick to your concept before you're like, all right, uh, you know, serving Chinese food and lingerie isn't working for me. (laughs) You know, where's that? Uh, There's this Armenian coffee shop where they serve uh, coffee and lingerie. Okay. And uh, this is in Los Angeles. Yes, I've never been. Yeah, um, I think, uh, is it, sorry, is it Armenian or is it Vietnamese? Now I'm all over the place, but there is a coffee shop that serves coffee and lingerie that much I know. And I think they're doing very well. Okay. Okay. But so that concept's working, but okay, yeah. you know, assuming they were in dinosaur suits, maybe it wouldn't. Right. right uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so then at what point would the business owners say, okay, we need to pivot. So I, me and my, uh, my cousin, my business partner, we have an eight month, eight month rule. Okay. So basically at eight months, you're going to know if you're going to survive or if you're going to fail. Interesting. Um, that's what we've noticed with, you can see the trajectory of where you're going to go from that point forward. So we, I like to at least give it eight months of, of support. also being well capitalized. If you have to be solvent, money is very important because to stick to that conceptual integrity, you need to feel safe. And you also have to have the means to keep, what happens is people, they're not solvent. They mm-hmm. don't have the cap. They don't have the capitalization. So what happens is, they have to shift. They have to move because they need money today. Right. And that's the biggest issue with restaurants. If you are not capitalized well, if you are not solvent, do not open a restaurant. At least have one year. In the bank. In the bank. At least you cannot touch. One year in the bank. And you're hoping you don't have to touch that. You're hoping you open up the first month, you break even. Second month, maybe you become a little bit profitable and then so on and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. But by the eighth month, you'll know. So interesting. So, I mean, the general business consensus is like, you don't make money for the first year. You don't believe in that. No, it, it all depends. Sometimes you, 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 you open up and you're running, you right? Know, it's like, it works and it's yeah. fantastic. But then sometimes it might take, if you want to stick to your conceptual integrity, I think the biggest mistake a lot of restaurants do is that they hire a publicist or they hire 
They hire some sort of PR firm and what they do is they hype it up. They hype it up. A restaurant is not ready for that. When you open mm-hmm. up, it takes three months for them, just the kitchen to flow, just for everyone else to really understand what's happening in the restaurant. I won't go to a new, new opening. I usually wait at least three months before I go somewhere. Mm. So you'll because, go to like the grand versus the soft. Yeah. Okay. I mean, no, my point is that I, I'll go to the grand opening for support if someone invites me, but sure. I'm not going to base, I'm not going to base my, my, my time on the first experience there. Mm-hmm. If it's within a 30 days, because I know it's just going to get better. Yeah. So I like to go back within like three or four months. And when I go back, it's always better. And right. that's what happens. They open it with PR and they, they shove everything down their throat as far as, uh, you know, customers. And then they have a bad experience and then they don't go back. And then what they do, they tell everyone that they had a bad experience and that's what, that's what ends up happening. Interesting. So I believe in opening up a place, open the doors. Don't tell anyone you're opening. Mm-hmm. Just open the doors. And then know? see what comes. And see what happens. Mm. If you create a great product and you keep it organic, it will grow organically. So your first month, your second month, you, you might not make money your first couple of months, two, three, four months. But if you're breaking even, if you're not coming out of pocket, if you have to come out of pocket a little bit, that's okay. But just let it grow organically and you will be successful. As long as you have a good product and you're putting out a really good thing. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. And you're well capitalized as well. Yeah. So that you're not in panic mode, right? Because if you're worried about money and this is something funny, Charlie and I used to talk about this all the time, like nothing kills creativity, like having to worry about survival. Yeah. Right. So first stabilize, have that money in the bank and then you can focus on making it fantastic. Exactly. Then you can really focus on what you're great at. Yeah. But if you have that fear and not knowing how you're going to pay your bills or pay your employees or pay your vendors, you can't be great. Because you have so much fear instilled in you and you can't, you can't be successful based on fear. It's just not going to work. Right. Yeah. Guys, you're on with the future of, uh, I'm your host, Jenna Benami. Check us out on Instagram at the future of dot radio. And my Insta is the Jenna Ben and my amazing guest, Sal Aurora's Instagram is, I can't even say it without laughing. It's delish Sal. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Delish Sal. Um, all right. So, God, you have this um, amazing wealth of wisdom. What um, what qualities do you look for in your staff? Uh, the most important thing is transparency, honesty. That's where I think truth is the is the biggest value of all. I mean, if someone just lives in truth and has integrity in that sense, I think everything else falls into place. Mm. So does that start at like the resume level? Like, are you, are you having, are are you doing like the resume check to see if their dates are consistent and um, if they're like lying or, or yeah, yeah, you know, I rather someone be honest and not embellish anything and just Mm. say, Hey, this is what happened. This is who I am. This is where I come from in a sense than trying to represent something that they're not, because then they're just going to represent, they're going to do the same thing when they're in your establishment. I'm just not looking for that. Okay. Now, I'm with you, but given that it's the standard to embellish and make yourself appear bigger than you are, um, wouldn't you say that coming off really honest would put that candidate at a disadvantage? Maybe they wouldn't even be considered because they look so, you know, inexperienced. Well, it doesn't mean just it doesn't mean that you're inexperienced. That's that's how I look at it. It just Mm. shows me that experience is important. But if you could find someone who fits into your culture of mm-hmm. your of your restaurant, I'm happy, happy to train them. 
Okay. I'm willing to put, I'm willing, because, you know, a lot, a lot of times you have, you know, when we, we invest into an employee and then we bring them into, into our circuit and then it takes an investment. It takes money to, for them to, to learn everything and then right. understand what's happening. So I'd rather know someone who's going to stay with me and have longevity um, than who's going to jump around and just look for the buck. Amazing. So are you hiring right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always looking for great people. Really? So yeah. um, in terms of like wait staff or bartenders or management, what are you looking for? Uh, as far as I'm, I'm, I'm good. My management's amazing right now, but we're always looking for great wait staff service. Mm-hmm. Always looking for amazing kitchen staff. Um, not, that's a hard one. I've that's, heard. Yeah. Not many people want to do it anymore. They, they don't want to be in the kitchen anymore. So it's really yeah. difficult to find uh, great, great staff, but the staff I have is phenomenal. Um, they do an amazing job and that stems from Antonia LaFaso. She has an amazing culture mm. in her kitchen and she's a true leader. Um, she goes in and she works hard and she shows the staff that like she has their back. And I think they really respect that about her. Yeah. And she's, you know, she's a teacher. She's an, you know, she educates, um, she, it's amazing. You walk into a kitchen, it's a quiet kitchen. I don't know if you know what that means, but usually mm-hmm. if you walk into a professional kitchen, everyone's screaming oh, right. and yelling and it's yeah. crazy. <laughs> it, you, you walk into her kitchen and she's expediting, which is she's reading out the tickets of what needs to go out as far as ordering from the customers. And she's the only one speaking and everyone else is just listening and just kind of flowing and, and moving at their pace. And it's, it doesn't seem like chaos at all. It's incredible to see. And they're happy. And they're very happy. Because it's it's like okay we can't converse we can't you know there's no banter back in the kitchen but no, no there's work when there's work there's work right you know head down let's make this happen teamwork just like any it, the kitchen is just like it's like a sports team it's like a soccer team mm. eleven players you know you, we all you all have to gel together you all have to work together there's no difference these guys are working their ass off back there right in a hot kitchen it's not yeah. fun. <laughs> Your feet are fucking killing you. It's just not a sexy, sexy job at right. all. And these guys are working their asses off and they're doing it consistently every day. And I don't think people realize that, how hard these how hard these people work in the kitchen. And and it's truly, it's true, it's not an easy job. And they do it with a smile. And I'm I'm very happy with them, yeah. Well, I hope that uh, your staff of four or 500 folks get to hear you talk about them like this so that they can yeah. get a little bit of validation in what they do, because I'm a firm believer that we all need it on some level. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. So um, tell us your tequila story. Oh, boy. Tequila <laughs> story. Yeah. It started with like uh, a conversation with the Azunia guys. And then I just was like, all right, we're going to adopt that on every show because- <laughs> I shared mine. Jen, what if I run for president one day? I, I the president's allowed to have tequila. Yeah, well, the president's allowed to have tequila. Okay, <laughs> a crazy te- a tequila story. <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump is our president, That's so a great point. I yeah. think that the bar has been adjusted. I rescind. I rescind what I said. Then, yeah. yeah. So then I have a great chance for running for president. We well, have a wonderful chance. <laughs> uh, let's see my tequila story. Uh, this goes back to the happy ending days. Okay. Okay. You just. You just. You just got excited about that one. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I did. I had such good memories. Like yeah, my twenties were spent was, there. That place was amazing. Um, so this goes back to two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Ohio State University mm-hmm. uh, uh, with a uh, graduate of business management degree. So I created. Uh, I found the local alumni association for the Ohio State Buckeyes, and I turned the happy ending, which was like a sports bar. Um, tell the listeners it, it held like 500 people. The place yeah, was like, it was packed. It was like spring it was break. Like, it was like spring break for adults. <laughs> it really. Was. 
It was Panama City. Yeah, it was just, it was incredible. It yeah. opened in 2007 and LA's never seen anything like it. Yeah. I mean, you can contest to that, right? Yeah. Um, so we, uh, we would show, we have 50 screens. So we would show football mm. Saturdays, which was the football Saturdays and obviously Sunday NFL Sunday. But so I created, uh, I reached out to the alumni and created Ohio state as an alumni association, as a watch site for, for, uh, amazing. So smart for, for the fans. And they had a huge fan base. We would average a hundred to 150 people per, depending on, on the game, sometimes three, 400. Anyway, 2008 USC and Ohio State were playing each other and they were ranked, I believe, like like top five between the two. And we were playing at USC. So we did this huge parking lot event with the Alumni Association from Ohio State, from Columbus. So I did a parking lot event, which could hold a couple thousand people. Mm, mm-hmm. So the day before, the, the the game was on a Saturday. We did an event on, on Friday and we did a parking lot event. We literally had like 4,000 people come through the door. Oh my God. I worked my ass off that day. I got there at 6 a.m., set up the parking lot the whole nine and worked all day, all through the night and basically slept two hours. I had to be back the next day because we had another event and I went to the game. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) You don't skip anything. No. And I also went to the game. So, so grab a bottle of tequila. Should I say which type of tequila it was or just leave it, leave it there? Whatever. Yeah. It was a bottle of, uh, I was celebrating cause it was such a success. The party the day before. And I was very excited and granted this was back in 2008. So how old was I then? We'll leave that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was 11 years ago. Yeah. So, uh, so I grabbed the bottle of celebration, Don Julio, 1942. Uh-huh. And we jumped in my friend's car and we went, went, we ran down to, we, you know, we jumped down to, uh, down to the game and there was tailgating and the whole nine. And we finished a bottle of 1942 in the car ride. Wait, how many people? Well, it was five people in the car, but one was driving. He was not drinking. So basically four people. Okay. And so I was basically in like on, an hour. I was essentially on two hours of sleep, no food. Oh my basically God. Basically for, for 40 hours. And let's put it this way, the tequila one. I didn't make it to halftime. No. <laughs> so like you threw up at the bar? I don't throw up. Okay. <laughs> I don't throw up. I pass out. <laughs> oh. So I, I uh, a, a, got a dear friend of mine, his name's DJ. Shout out to DJ Feldman out there. You're Shout the greatest. Out. You're the greatest. <laughs> uh, he took care of me and got me back to, uh, and we were getting blown out by the way, by USC. So I really didn't miss out. So we ended up losing, I think like 38, seven or something like that, but it was already mm. blowout by halftime. So he got me home safe and actually got me back to the happy ending and threw me in the office and on, onto the couch. <laughs> <laughs> so I woke up probably like seven, eight hours later, like in my office. So, okay. I don't even remember being there, by the way. But <laughs> I still, I think that that is a way better ending than you vomiting, right? Because yeah, for some it's reason, I don't, vo- I don't vomit for some reason. No, I wish I was more like you. I'm yeah. a vomiter. My body just like shuts down. Yeah, no, my body wants to expel. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and it happened, you guys. I told the story, but it happened for the first time at Sal's bar oh, at man. Happy Ending. And, and yeah, and the poor Busser just looked at me with like such shame in his eyes. I was like, I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. he, you know, he should have given you the mop. He totally should have. But yeah. I, I went back a second time because I, I couldn't, I had to throw up twice. Like, wow. <laughs> and then I think I, I think I went longer at home, but oh, yeah, so it kept going. It kept going. All right. Well, that's what happens when you do double shots double with shots. like a guy that's twice your size. Yeah. That's not a good idea. No. What I tequila, learned. Do you remember what tequila it was? Probably cheap tequila. 
Um, hello, I don't drink <laughs> cheap tequila. In your early twenties? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think it, I'm pretty sure it was um, it was either Patron or yeah. Don Julio Repo. Gotcha. Yeah, Patron. Those were the Patron days back then. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's the first tequila I've ever had. Patron. Yeah. Yeah, and then I overdid it. So when I was a cocktail waitress at Busby's, um, oh, I didn't know you worked there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did that. I cleaned Busby's, up there. I'm I sure. made I made a ton. They I, killed it I knew too. how to sell. They were like the happy ending of the West Side. Yes, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And our shifts were long because we'd start at five, six, or seven, depending on right, and then you go till two thirty in the morning. Today's laws, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, they got away with that, a lot there. That, that would be a mess. <laughs> but back then, you could. Yeah. Today, those laws are so different. Yeah. I know. Different times, guys. I had a yeah. blast being in that industry. Anyway, um, we are officially out of time as we exit. Do you have any favorite quotes or wisdom you want to share with our listeners? Uh, favorite quote. Um, I do have, I have many favorite quotes, but one that sticks out is from Socrates. Mm. And um, it goes along the lines of like, he says, uh, all I know is I know nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's something I definitely pay attention to because the more you know, the more I realize I don't know. Yes. So, um, so every day is a learning experience. So every day, take it in, you know, just let your ego go, just be willing to be open and vulnerable and let people help you. Yeah. Let them, let them in. Um, if they want to, you know, just, I'm all for me when someone comes at me with wisdom or certain ways of, 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 of how they represent themselves or how their being is, I, I really pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I try to take You're in receptive. The, yeah. I try to take in the best that I can of them. Amazing. Well, there you have it, guys. You're listening to The Future Of with Jenna Benemy and Sal Aurora. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yep. We're on every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you miss us, we re-air every Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Check us out on Instagram at thefutureof.radio and the Jenna Ben and Delish Sal. <laughs> <laughs>